You're listening to the Can't Wait Podcast with Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Can't wait! I felt like our energy died, man. Um, and we wasn't playing team ball. So anytime you do that, um, our team is going to take advantage of it. That was Jamal Adams really summing it up after the Jets' disappointing, disastrous maybe loss. Week one to the Bills, they blow a 16-0 lead and drop it 17-16. to We'll try to put the pieces back together. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes on the Can't Wait podcast. And Connor, it started so good. There was energy in the stadium. There was turnovers. There was a big lead. But maybe we should have known things were going to head the wrong direction when it was halftime, it was six to nothing and the jets had a plus four turnover ratio. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a problem, man. I mean, that that's, that's, it's, it's almost an insane uh, statistic that's out there. Now I know the, the final play of the game that the jets had where they were just lateraling it around and, and trying to, uh, to make something happen late there and steal a victory. They ended up fumbling the ball that counted as a turnover. But if you were to eliminate that, because that was kind of the last play, heaving a prayer sort of thing, the last time a team had four turnovers and like forced four turnovers, but did not turn the ball over themselves, uh, and and still managed to lose a football game was the infamous "They are who we thought they were." Denny Green uh, post game press conference where the uh, the Cardinals lost to the Chicago Bears, and and so that kind of just puts into perspective how uh, how little that actually happens in in the world, but. Uh, it, look, man, th- this was there, there's no other way to put it. This was a brutal loss for the Jets, a, a tough loss for a Jets, a disheartening one. I mean, in the locker room, it was about as somber as I've experienced in a week one uh, situation. And the Jets don't always win week one. So this isn't like this is some kind of new experience. I mean, this team was beat up a bit. And, you know, I, I think the toughest thing is that it was a game that they should have won. That's that's what uh, Leonard Williams said. He he said basically those guys over in, in the uh, in the Bills locker room know they got away with one, know they stole one. And. You know, you kind of get the feeling that if C.J. Mosley hadn't left when he did in the third quarter, uh, the Jets probably would have actually been on the other end of this thing. All right, we're going to talk about good, bad, and ugly, but we're not going to start with the good because, well, that wouldn't be fair. Uh, There was so much bad and ugly, Connor, that let's get to that stuff. And C.J. Mosley was so good in this game, but then that went the other way because he gets hurt, he leaves the game, and it felt like that was the entire loss of energy that we heard from Jamal Adams at the top of the show. So let's start there. This defense without Mosley just kind of fell apart. Is he that valuable? He is, and and I think that his value is actually amplified by the fact that Jets no longer have Avery Williamson uh, next to him. You know, that that was kind of the thing is that the the Jets started, this whole Jets roster lacks depth. Right. That when we've talked about that ad nauseum, really, since we started this podcast, but also as long as I've been writing about this team the last uh, three, four, five months, is that starting wise, their starting lineup is decent. Their starting lineup is good enough to win games. Their starting lineup is good enough to compete against most teams. However, if they are to lose one, two, three key starters, they don't necessarily have the guys there to step up and fill those gaps. So when the Jets lost Avery Williamson and Neville Hewitt filled in next to C.J. Mosley, you kind of thought, okay, maybe the Jets can weather this storm and survive. You've got Mosley in there. Mosley's going to captain the ship as he was going to do originally. He can get everyone lined up. He can pretty much say to to Hewitt, you're doing this right now. Go do that. And it'll kind of keep the defense uh, working in the right way. Well, when the Jets lost Mosley and then Blake Cashman came in, you suddenly went from a starting defensive line that had a good linebacking duo of C.J. Mosley, Avery Williamson, two guys with experience calling plays. Uh, Mosley, obviously one of the best in his position, but Avery Williamson, a pretty good player in his own right, to now you have a rookie fifth-round pick, 
seeing his first action against an actual NFL offense that isn't in the preseason. And Neville Hewitt, a journeyman who kind of is pretty good against the run, but a complete liability against the pass. Mosley, aside from him being a tremendous player, it's his brain that the Jets love for anything else. He's the quarterback of that defense. He's getting everyone lined up. He's calling the plays. He's diagnosing what the offense is going to do. He's shifting things so that they can shut down the the play that the opposition is about to run. When he leaves that defense, they lose all of that. And you saw the Jets kind of almost self-destruct without Mosley in there, I think as much for his leadership and quarterbacking ability as they did for his physical talents because Blake Cashman was not able to make those same uh, alignment calls. Neville Hewitt was not able to make those same calls. He wasn't able to get the defense prepared to take on that offense. And with Jamal Adams back in the secondary, Jamal Adams was quarterbacking the corners and the safeties, but Jamal Adams can't then run up to the line and play middle linebacker too and do Hewitt's job for him to also then get the secondary lined up to then get all of this done before the offense runs a play. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So when Mosley went down, you saw this team just totally, totally implode. I mean, that's where you saw Josh Allen take them on an 85-yard scoring drive. That's where you saw Josh Allen take them on an 80-yard scoring drive, where it was just chunk play after chunk play. You saw uh, Singletary, the run- David Singletary, the Bills running back, start to pick up chunk plays through the middle of the line. I mean, this is where it all went down for the Jets. And if Mosley does not leave this game, I'm convinced the Jets win it because that defense was rolling. And, you know, one of the big alarming aspects of this injury is obviously it's a groin. Groin injuries can linger. You never know how long that's going to last. But when Mosley left, almost immediately the Jets ruled him as doubtful. Two series later was when they officially ruled him out. We'll talk to Adam Gase a little bit later on today on a conference call where he should provide uh, a little bit more detail on Mosley, what's wrong with him, how long he's potentially going to be out. Is this a week-to-week thing? Is this a daily thing? Is he going to be back for the Browns on Monday night? We don't know. When we talked to Gase after the game, he said they're going to have to run tests and stuff. But if the Jets are going to be without Mosley for a significant period of time, Look, we knew the defense wasn't going to be all that great to begin with. We knew the offense was going to have to score a lot of points for them to win games. But if now the defense is going to be this bad without their arguably their best defensive player not named Jamal Adams, I mean, look, we'll talk soon about the murderer's row that awaits the Jets these next four or five games. I don't know if they win another one if Mosley's missing a chunk of time. Yeah, it's just brutal. And you mentioned what he's brought as far as the leadership and the coach on the field, but he also brought the numbers. He had the pick six for the first touchdown, five tackles overall, a couple of pass defenses. I mean, he was all over the field, the fumble recovery. He just did everything. He was playing like a man possessed, and then he ends up going down and and there's just got to be a way for a team to to not fold like that, right? I mean, I know he's a big factor in everything, but the position he put them in was still a position to win a game, and then they, the complete fold that occurred afterwards is what surprised me the most. It's not that they didn't play as well without Mosley. It was the, the complete turnaround, and it was like a completely different team out there because of one guy. It just doesn't make sense to me that you well, can't have something to plug in there to to at least – um, you know, slow the the surge. It was it was more the it was again like I, like I kind of said it's it's because they lost Avery Williamson as well. Yeah. So the, losing Mosley, if the Jets had Avery Williamson in there and then they lost Mosley, they're probably still fine. Seriously, they're they're probably still fine. They can still probably keep their head afloat. It was the double whammy of having already lost Avery Williamson in the preseason, so you lose him and his leadership. To now you're also losing. Uh, you're now losing Mosley as well, and you're replacing them with Blake Cashman and Neville Hewitt. Those two guys do not have any NFL experience 
calling plays. They do not have any like regular season experience. So they have no regular season experience calling NFL plays. They have in Blake Cashman's uh, situation, he has no regular season experience. Period. They have no regular season experience setting guys up and getting line diagnosing plays. So their head's already swimming. And now you got to ask them to diagnose what the offense is about to do. I mean, it's a terrible situation for the Jets to be in. And that's why you saw the Bills get rolling. But now on the flip side of that, Tim, is you're right. The Jets shouldn't have won, shouldn't have still lost this game because Mosley left late in the third quarter because this was a defense that already gift-wrapped the offense, not including the pick six. They had gift-wrapped the offense three additional position, possessions, which the Jets did nothing with. This offense was absolutely dreadful, dreadful Sunday. It was atrocious. They had no rhythm. They had no creativity. They had no tempo. I mean, it was as sluggish as I've seen. It resembled nothing of what they've done in training camp, the preseason, anything like that. And I'm not terribly sure why. Maybe it was the offensive line. But look, you have to believe that when you give your offense that extra possessions, when you hold a team to just three points through through two and a half quarters, almost four full quarters, that you can win that game. But when the offense matches with only six points of their own, I'm sorry, eight points of their own, right? That's all this offense scored. Look, you're not going to win many games. This defense still, even with their implosion, held the Bills to 17 points. The Jets scored eight points on offense, one touchdown and a two-point conversion. They were almost, they, they their defense scored as many points as they did, eight, and they were outscored by the Bills. That's how bad this was for the Jets offense. I know we're about to get into it, but... I mean, it was it was it was rough, and and that's why the Jets lost the game. Look, C.J. Mosley is the reason why the implosion happened and why the defense couldn't shut it down. But make the mistake that this game is on the offense. You can't have a defense that already has their concerns hold the opposition to just 17 points and lose a game because you're not able to score 18, 19, 20. I mean, NFL offenses average 30. Like that's that's a fact. Good NFL offenses average 30, and the Jets mustered 16. Like that's just bad. Actually, they mustered only eight because the rest of the points were from their defense. Yeah, mostly gets six. Poole gets two with the safety before he left with an injury. But yeah, let's get into the offense because it was supposed to be electric. That's what they told us. And that's what you saw signs of during the preseason. And then there were no signs of it uh, on Sunday. Just brutal. Sam Donald, we'll get into him. 28 for 41, 175 uh, and a touchdown. And I think that yardage kind of says a lot because Donald... I mean, he had his moments. He made some things happen when he really didn't have a lot of time to throw, but he never had the opportunity, in my mind, to look deep down the field and to find guys. It was a lot of dink and dunk, and it was just an offense that was supposed to be electric, and instead it looked like an offense for a team that has a great defense that's just trying to manage the game. But this team's supposed to be the opposite. It's supposed to be the offense that's carrying the team, to despite that defense that's going to give up points and this Jets offense it seemed like at home in a home opener you want to come out with a killer instinct and put together some some great plays early to set the tone and that's what we saw in the preseason Darnold's action early on in games they would go right down the field and score and then this game there was just none of it it was like you talk about vanilla offenses in the preseason it was like the Jets brought the vanilla offense to game one. Yeah, it was it was weird, man. I mean, because again, like I said, and I've stressed this over and over again. I mean, when Darnold said he believed the offense was going to be electric, everyone bought it hook, line, and sinker, assuming the offensive line held up because of what the Jets had shown. And I wrote about this uh, in the post game story: is that look, the Jets showed legitimate creativity, legitimate interesting designs, legitimate electricness all throughout the summer and at differing points in the preseason. I mean, you saw them go deep, intermediate. You saw them attack all levels of the defense. You saw trick plays like crazy 
one, two, three times every training camp practice. So it set that stage high, but then it seemed like once the Jets got here into the regular season, it's almost like they ran a preseason offense. It was odd, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't want to put too like, like uh, you know, sound the alarms too, too much with that regard because I still think that this Jets offense is going to be good. I still think they're going to be certainly better than what they've been. Uh, and I think that Adam Gase will open things up moving forward here. He has to open things up moving forward here because what he showed on the field here was just – it wasn't what you expected to see from the Jets. I mean, right? Because you had – basically the offense ran throughout Le'Veon Bell. That was it. He was on the field for every single offensive snap. He played every single – literally, which is kind of crazy to think about. Jets had 67 offensive plays. Bell was on the field for every single one of them. 17 rushes, 60 yards. Caught another six passes for 32 yards but were targeted nine times. Had the touchdown. Caught the two-point conversion. I'm all for that. I I am all about this offense running directly through Le'Veon Bell. He is their best player, period. No questions asked. But you need to then build off of Le'Veon Bell. And that's what the Jets and Gase did not do against the Bills. It seemed like they ran it, ran it, ran it. And then they just focused focused on throwing passes at or a little bit past the line of scrimmage and hoping for some yards yards after catch. They didn't take any shots. There was no, okay, let's fake it to Le'Veon Bell take five steps back, and then take a deep shot to Robbie Anderson running a streak. We saw two uh, deep shots to Anderson the entire game. Both fell incomplete. One on the uh, the second-to-last possession of the game that could have uh, probably given the Jets the win. Anderson kind of pulled up a little bit, and the ball fell just a little bit over, over his head, and, and he wasn't able to make the grab. That one's probably on Anderson more than Darnold. So that's kind of what I was surprised to see, was that, that there was nothing building off of Bell's success. There was nothing... Uh, sh- uh, no, no creativity. No, the, the even the tempo was so sluggish and gross, and and that was something that we saw all throughout training camp. Was the Jets would open virtually every t- uh, every uh, every team drive with the hurry up, no huddle, and go bam, 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 right down the field on their defensive score a touchdown. I mean, that's where Sam Darnold was his most comfortable. And I thought, look, the Jets tried to do that a little bit, and where they moved the ball some, although they didn't put it in the end zone, was when they went to that no huddle. But again. Almost everything they threw was at or near the line of scrimmage. I mean, Jamison Crowder was targeted 17 times. He caught 14 passes. He didn't have 100 yards. I don't know (laughs) if that's ever happened in the NFL where guys had 14 (laughs) catches and did not cross the 100-yard marker. I mean, yeah, I'm sure PPR and fantasy leagues are going crazy over that stat line. But the fact 14 grabs, 99 yards, I mean, that tells you what the Jets were doing on offense. It was short, dink, and dunk hoping they moved the ball down the field, and, and it didn't work. Robbie Anderson, seven total targets, but only three catches for 23 yards. Quincy Anun with three total targets. He caught one pass, and it was on the screen. I mean, it was just, it was rough. It was tough to see, and you really hoped to see more. And, and you know, honestly, I think maybe a portion of this, and, and this is why I kind of want to see how things go moving forward and why I'm not ready to, uh, you know, bury Adam Gase yet, although the honeymoon is, is certainly over if you read the comments section on The Athletic. I mean, they're, they're, the, the Adam Gase honeymoon lasted a week. Uh, is that the offensive line struggled. And the offensive line seemed to struggle, especially when the the Bills got a little exotic with the rushes that they deployed, whether it was uh, blitzing more guys than the line had to block or just making it uh, a little bit confusing in terms of which guys were coming and which guys were not. Because you can still bring just four people, but if it's not the four people the offensive line expect to come, well, that's when suddenly they're going to have some struggles. And I think you saw that, was that Sam Darnold – went sacked four times. He was hit nine times. He, w- he was under duress most of the day. So I think one of the reasons why Adam Gase went to such a um, uh, dink and dunk offense and just get the ball to Crowder and let him run, get the ball to Crowder and let him run, 
is because he didn't trust his offensive line to hold up when Sam Darnold had to hold the ball for three, three and a half seconds, which is normally what you want for a longer play to develop. He didn't think Darnold would have that time, so he had to go short, had to go short, had to go short. Uh, a portion of that, Tim, is is because the offensive line, this is the first time, obviously the first game reps that they saw together, they started practicing together for the first time two weeks ago. So uh, some of those concerns were expected. Uh, shocker, I guess the Jets can't you know, just learn everything in, in, in the meeting rooms like they tried to paint that clear picture with the offensive line. That's not how this works. Uh, so I think that, that that's probably uh, one of the reasons why this offense was so vanilla is that the Jets just didn't trust their offensive line. But it's not going to get easier from here on out. And if the Jets are, if this is the offense that they're going to have to run because of what they believe the offense is capable of, well, this is going to be an incredibly long season. And, and, and Gase has to find a way to get more creative in spite of some of the offensive line struggles. Yeah, only four attempts over 20 yards for Donald. So yeah, there weren't yeah. attempts because there wasn't the time. Like you mentioned, the offensive line was, well, let's say it, it was it was pretty much a disaster as far as keeping him, giving him protection and time. But also, I feel like when he did have time, he was looking out there and not seeing a whole lot of open receivers. Um, so yeah, can we split the blame between the offensive line and the fact that this receiving core couldn't separate from the defenders? I got. I honestly, I want to. I have to go. I, they make the all twenty-two available on Tuesday. The film, so I do have to go back and watch uh, to to see if guys were not open. Um, I need to go back. Like that's something I just have to do. Is because like, the other thing is like, f- who knows what the five passes that Sam Darnold had batted down, what they would have done if they had actually you know been thrown an inch higher and not yeah. right at the defender's uh, arm. So we'll see there. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to criticize the like. I thought the same thing in game. I was like, okay, I don't know if the wide receivers are creating that much separation. Like is Robbie. Uh, who'd been dealing with that leg injury and he was still practiced fully this week. Is he not a hundred percent, not able to create separation? Is he not there? Is Quincy and none one not getting open? I mean, is that why he's checking down to Crowder so much? Cause he's the only guy that's there. Uh, I have to, I just have to go back and watch the film to see if, and I, I don't want to sound like a coach when I say that, but I actually do have to go look at the all 22. Cause when you're at the press box, you can't really tell. Uh, so I got to go look at the all 22 to see, okay. Anderson actually is starting to break open here. Darnold just has to check it down because the defender's bearing down on him. I have to see if that's the case. But look, man, this this was wildly disappointing for, for the Jets. This was uh, overly alarming. And I think the big reason for that was because expectations had been set so high for this offense, even before Sam Darnold said he believed he was going to be electric and excite some people, was that this was Darnold's second year. This was Le'Veon Bell's debut. This was where the Jets got to show off the, the new and improved Robbie Anderson who ran more than just a go route and Quincy Anunwa who was healthy and Jamison Crowder who was the prized free agent acquisition and they were going to do it in their new uniforms with, with their new saying of take flight at home, the opener against the Bills. They were going to get going. They were going to hit the explosive plays. They were going to run trick plays. They were going to show excitement, excitement that you haven't seen from a Jets offense in years in years, and instead, they laid a complete dud. I mean, this offense averaged 3.4 yards a play. That is pathetic. There was no excitement from Adam Gase's scheme. Darnold looked like the quarterback that he did the first half of his rookie year, not the one that showed so much promise the second half. Le'Veon Bell was good, but when you build nothing off of Le'Veon Bell, it doesn't really matter. So, look, the defense played great. The defense then imploded, but the story of this game is that the offense that was supposed to be electric and dynamic and exciting and, and light MetLife Stadium and on fire and send those green and white faithful into a frenzy just did not. It fell flat on its face and it was a dud. And this is just the first game of the season. There are 15 more to play, 17 or 16 more weeks. But still, 
Things need to get going, and they need to get going quick because it doesn't get easier from the Jets from here on out. And if this, what they showed, is what they're going to be for the rest of the year, and I don't think it is, but if it is, whew, this team's going to be in trouble. Yeah, because the offensive line should get better. They're going to get to work together now in practice. They've had some hope. game time. Let's hope they improve for sure. The The interesting thing about the, the offensive attack is, you mentioned it, Sam Darnold's second year, and this is the year he's supposed to kind of explode. It seemed like a rookie quarterback's first start type play calling yeah. situation Good where call. it was yeah. safe passes here and there, make your receiver uh, try to make something happen and, and keep your confidence up. And that just wasn't the case. It wasn't good. All right. So that was bad, but there was some ugly too. We got to start with the kicking. This was the concern oh, throughout man. the preseason. And even when your kicking's bad, right? You think, okay, over the course of the NFL season, how often can having a bad kicker really cost us a game? I mean, is it going to maybe be once or twice when it's that close a game that the kicker cost us? And sure enough, Jets week one and Vedvik just dreadful, misses the field goal, misses the extra point to probably just destroy his confidence right away. And then the bad missed field goal. It was definitely Vikings Vedvik and not Ravens Vedvik on Sunday. Yeah, look, I mean, this was, the, I think the thing to remember about Vedvik is the Jets were rolling the dice, right? They thought, look, that we're going to get the guy with the Ravens. He's going to be fine. He was just in a little hiccup. Well, this was a guy that, that was so bad with the Vikings that they traded a fifth-round pick for him in August. And before the end of August, they decided to just cut him free. So they took a fifth-round pick and flushed it down the toilet. That's how bad this guy was and what they felt they had to do with him. And what you saw on Sunday was basically what, the Vikings saw for a month that made them say, yeah, flush it down the toilet. We can't play this guy. We cannot play this guy. I don't know if he has the yips. I don't know if he's in his own head. I don't know if he's overthinking things. He said one time he didn't really line up correctly, which is why he shanked it. But there's a lot wrong. I mean, look, he missed the two kicks in the game. In pregame warmups, he missed four in a row at one point. Warmups are supposed to be automatic. There's no rush. It's just you, the long snapper and the holder, just kicking them with no one even really watching because there's only a smattering of fans in there. So he missed four in a row, two from 48, two from 53 at that point. Those aren't gimme kicks, but they're kicks that a, an NFL kicker is supposed to make. And look, you knew that, that the Jets were the, the Jets kicker was going to cost them a game at some point this year. Didn't think it was going to happen week one, so at least they're one for one in something. But I think that this is a problem now where the Jets have to go back and look for they, they need to reevaluate. They they need to they need to sit down and say, look. The former GM who decided to let Jason Myers, who, by the way, went three for three on his three-point after attempts in the Seahawks victory last night. they were That was the regime that, that decided to That was a one-point Seahawks victory, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so Vedvik cost the Jets a, a game in the one-point loss, and, and Myers theoretically won his team a game in the one-point victory. Um, this was a, a, an old regime that decided that Jason Myers, who had struggled before he arrived to the Jets, that the Jets' season was a mirage. They didn't want to pay him and then have to deal with him if he went back to his old Jason Myers ways. I understand that to a point, right? I do get that apprehension. I understand the Jets have been burned with bad contracts before based off of just one season. So I understand from that, from that it was a poor evaluation. It was a wrong evaluation. But I get what they were thinking, that we don't know if this is going to be the Jason Myers that we saw in 2018 for the rest of his career or the guy that had gotten cut and ended up wandering, you know, basically walking into Florham Park and surprising everyone with how he performed in 2018. They did not know. So I get being apprehensive to giving him a huge, huge contract. But if you are going to move on from Jason Myers, 
You have to replace him with someone competent. They did not do that with Chandler Catanzaro. They did not do that with Taylor Bertolette. And they certainly as hell have not done it with Corey Vedvik, who looks like he is the worst of the three. And now the Jets are sitting here, heading into week two, with massive concerns at kicker and seemingly no idea how to fix them. They have no idea how to replace this guy because there's no notable options out there in the free agent market. The one big one was Cairo Santos, who was actually here with the Jets last year, but an injury prevented him from kicking, which opened the door for Jason Myers to sign. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, look it up real quick. I'm pretty sure that he just recently signed with a team, so he's not an option. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he signed with the Tennessee Titans, so he did actually sign. So Cairo Santos is off the market. He's not an option as a veteran place kicker. You already saw uh, the guy the Falcons just signed, Matt Bryant. He's now off the market. There's no one really there for the Jets to go at. There isn't. I mean, you can take some chances on younger guys, but you're just going to deal with the same issues that you dealt with before because these are the same guys that imploded in, in their last meetings. But the Jets have to do something. Uh, Adam Gase said uh, pretty pretty bluntly that the Jets are going to, to look into that kicker position, and he didn't know if they were going to add another body. I mean, it was a pretty – Adam Gase was a, not emotional, but you could tell he was on edge during that postgame press conference yesterday. So maybe he had to just sit down and, and think and really decide what he wants to do at kicker. But if I was – Vedvik listening to that press conference, I would not feel, in fact, I might start packing my bags already. I mean, that's kind of how Adam, Adam Gase made it, made it seem. Um, I, I, I just, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I don't know what you do. I, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not at a loss for words because I can, I won most talkative in seventh grade, you know, in Olsen middle school. So I can talk <laughs> for hours, but uh, I, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what you do here. I really don't. I, I don't know because there aren't any options in free agency. There obviously aren't options in the draft. You're not going to trade for a veteran because any veteran on the roster right now is not going to be able to be acquired via trade because teams aren't just going to give away a kicker. And I don't think that you can trust Vedvik at all. This guy has – you cannot trust him at all in any situation. So good luck. I, I Seriously, good luck. I, I don't – I have no idea. I really I don't. I got an idea. Before the game, you just have whoever's in the crowd and thinks they have a shot <laughs> come down to the field and give it a shot from yeah. 40 yards. And if you can kick one from 40, you're our kicker for the day. It'll be a great promotion. Get the crowd into it and everything. There you go. That, that's yeah. not a bad idea. I like that one. I like that. <laughs> it's my minor league baseball roots. Uh, so th- yeah. there you go. They can go for two on every touchdown, too. And, and you go 50% there, and you're, you're up as well. But, yeah, certainly bad. They'll you- probably be going for two. My assumption, like, honestly, though, my yeah. assumption is that like, you kind of like, you, well, the Jets had to, well, they actually didn't have to go for two to make it 16. I mean, they could have made it 15 nothing after they scored that offensive touchdown. But I do get why the Jets uh, – I think that – I believe that the, you're going to see the Jets start to go for two points an awful lot, especially if Vedvik's on this roster. It would not surprise me if the Jets score their first touchdown against the Browns and they immediately come out and say, okay, you know what, let's go for two. Let's go for two. Let's see. Like, let's just – let's take a chance here. Let's go for two. Why not? I, I That would not surprise me in any way, shape, or form because they have to do something. You can You can't – trust this guy i mean you look you know what's honestly would have been crazy tim is that if if uh if the jets went all the way down the field on that final drive of the game and it set up a vedvik a vedvik field goal to try to win it 19 17 like that would have been something like if it actually came down to a final field goal because you and i both know that kid was missing it he no was way not missing no it. chance he was not he was not making it although actually you know what I bet you he would have. I bet you he would have made it because that would have given the Bills a backdoor cover because the line was two and a half. So that would have <laughs> made goes a, a, two point, a two point Bills loss. Yeah. So you know what? Yeah. Vegas is in on Vedvik. That's what they were trying to do. That's Here's a question: If they if if they had gotten down to say set up a a fifty yard field goal with three seconds left, <laughs> do they kick the to. field goal or you do they to. throw the yeah. ball to the end zone? 
You have to. You yeah. absolutely have to. You have to. Now, the better, the flip side of that is that, like, with three seconds left, 50 yards to win, you have to kick that field goal. You can't just take, take up a Hail Mary. But what if you got down to, say, 35 seconds, still a timeout, you're on the 35-yard line, similar to set up, like, a 50-plus-yard field goal. Do you go for it on fourth and one, or do you kick it? Yeah, with time left, that's, with a little that's, time that's left. What yeah. I wa- that's what I was kind of hoping to see, was that a fourth-down situation – where a normal NFL kicker can make this field goal for the win with like 30-ish seconds left, do you go for a fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three, or do you kick that field goal? And we might look, we might get to see it next week against Cleveland in that kind of a situation early in the game, uh, because the Jets clearly, I mean, they, they, you can't trust, you can, you cannot trust the kid. I mean, again, this, the, the, it wasn't like he just got the yips in the game where he was okay. He struggled. He just, you know, it was a the, the one field goal was kind of a low snap. It still got down, but it was a low snap. That throw off the timing, and then he just happened to miss the PAT. Okay, maybe you can say like, all right, it was just it was just a game thing. He just needs to hit one, and he'll be fine. No, the dude missed four in a row in warmups. Where that's that's where you realize that there is a legitimate concern. There's a problem here. There is a problem. All right. So you mentioned obviously we've talked about the defense, how bad the defense was, and you mentioned the schedule coming up. And one thing that stands about <laughs> out about the schedule that's coming up. Uh, is the wide receivers this team's going to be facing with just a secondary that was just dreadful. You have the Cleveland Browns, who did not play good on Sunday and got blown out, but they do have that guy, Odell Beckham Jr. So he's coming to town. Yeah, and and Jarvis Landry. Then you have the Patriots, who have Edelman, Josh Gordon, and, oh, Antonio Brown will be on the team by then, so that's week three. The Jets couldn't cover Josh Brown. Now they got to figure out how to cover (laughs) Antonio Brown. Good luck with that one. That dude's going to go for 800. Then week four is a bye. They'll need it. And then week five, the Eagles. So that's a passing attack. I mean, maybe not the, the standout weapons. But then you have Amari Cooper and the Cowboys after that. And then the Patriots again. I mean, they got to find a way to do something. You can't double team everybody. I don't have answers for how they fix that side of the game. Maybe the offensive line gets better. Maybe the offense gets better. Maybe you get Mosley back. But that secondary, there's no way to make it better, right? No, there's not. I mean, what you saw a little bit against against the Bills is what you know. Look, the Jets, the Jets blitzed. The Jets blitzed. The Jets they blitzed and they blitz, 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 blitz. Exactly what you thought uh, Greg Williams was going to do is what Greg Williams did. And when the Jets got home and they disrupted Josh Allen, they got someone in his face. You saw Josh Allen make mistakes. He threw uh, the interceptions. He fumbled. They hit him. They only sacked him once, but they hit him enough where they were able to disrupt his timing and threw him off. I mean, again, for two and a half quarters, entering the fourth quarter, the Bills had three points and looked completely lost. Mosley went down, and that's when everything fell apart. But when Josh Allen had time in the pocket, when that blitz was picked up, when he had a chance to scan the field, guys were wide open. They were wide open. Shereen Johnson is not a good cornerback. Daryl Roberts is not a starting NFL cornerback. Brian Poole, well, he wasn't really picked on because why go to Brian Poole when you can just pick on Daryl Roberts or Tremaine Johnson? The, the Jets gambled this offseason in a, in, a, in a gamble that the odds would have been ones that you probably would have stayed away from on anyone else. I mean, Mike McCagnan basically went into free agency despite having $100 million in his pocket and said, you know what? We believe Tremaine Johnson's going to bounce back. That that last year was just injuries were the reason why he didn't live up to that $72.5 million contract. He'll be fine. Daryl Roberts, you know, we'll let we'll let Morris Claiborne, who's going to get suspended, we'll let him walk. We won't sign anyone else notable. We believe that Daryl Roberts can step in and be a starting cornerback. Brian Poole, he, he had a bad year last year with the Falcons, but he was good before that. We think he'll be a nickel. So they're rolling with and taking a massive gamble on three guys that a lot of other teams would have said, dude, what the hell are you doing? And in, and and basically what has happened after a week is that you realize that, no, the Jets gambled didn't pay off. It's as bad as expected. 
I unofficially kept tabs of this, and I'll check Pro Football Focus once uh, they, they review the game to confirm. But uh, Tremaine Johnson allowed at least four first down catches, including three on third downs. On it got to the point where, like, when I'm when I'm in the press box, I have the C, uh, whoever is broadcasting the game yesterday with CBS. I have them on my ear on my earphones because sometimes they get information before the press box does. Like they hand in the sheet so you can kind of get a jump on injuries or things like that. At one point, that broadcast said, uh, "I'm paraphrasing here, but it was it was the Bills would be quote crazy quote." to stop targeting Tremaine Johnson. That's the Jets' number one corner, Tim. And they're saying it would be crazy not to tar- like to continue to, to find that guy in the field and just throw at him no matter what. That's their $72.5 million number one corner, and that's what the broadcast is saying the game plan should be, to just go after him no matter what. That's a massive concern. Then you have Daryl Roberts on the other side, who obviously he was beat for the game-winning 30-yard touchdown, but he also had a defensive holding, which erased a Marcus May interception. He was just as bad, and like I said, Josh Allen never had to get to Brian Poole, because what's the point of going to Brian Poole when you can just feast on, on Daryl Roberts and Tremaine Johnson? And look, like I just said, the Jets had problems covering Josh Brown, who is a good receiver, but he is not a number one elite level receiver. He's no different than, than a Quincy Anunwa or Robbie Anderson. He's a good player, not a great one. Well, they now have Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry coming to town. Then, like you said, you can't cover Josh Brown. How are you going to do Antonio Brown? I mean, this doesn't get easier. And you mentioned the Eagles. Alshon Jeffrey is a hell of a player. Nelson Aguilar, pretty good player. Carson Wentz is a top-tier quarterback as long as he's healthy. It does not get easier from here on out. And Greg Williams... As good as he is, he's going to have to be even better to try to orchestrate pressure because this defense eventually is going to let up points. You can't expect them to hold true for four quarters because the secondary just isn't good enough to eventually break down. And if the offense continues to struggle or if the defense doesn't get C.J. Mosley back to quarterback the middle of that defense and try to keep things going, this next six-game stretch, it would not surprise me to see the Jets 1-5 in five one and six heading into week eight. That's how bad this could be, or oh and six. I'm sorry, heading into week eight. That's how bad this could potentially be. And then eventually, obviously, week eight's when you're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, which you know, obviously, they lost Nick Foles, so maybe that's a win. But if Foles is back at that point, I know he underwent surgery. Uh, it, it's not, it's not going to make anything better. I mean, look, this, this, this look, Tim, we knew the secondary was going to stink. Guess what? The secondary stinks. And I'm not talking about the safeties. Jamal Adams, Marcus May, they're, they are very good players. But the cornerbacks are absolutely dreadful, and, and they're going to be a problem for the Jets throughout the year. And, and they were a problem for the Jets week one. And I think it's going, to be, it, it's going to be an ongoing issue where there is no solving it until the draft next year and free agency. Yeah, when we charted this schedule before the season started, and, and I think we both said 8-8 eight and eight for the record, and I said 8-8, eight and eight, and they'd be 1-5. and five. And get to eight and eight. Now zero and six. It seems really hard to get an eight and eight when you're zero and six. I saw um, one the, two wins this first stretch. I, I right. saw I saw one or two. I thought they'd beat the Bills, and I thought they'd steal one from the Browns and Patriots. Browns or Patriots, one of those two games. I thought, look, the Patriots are a team that usually in September October they're not exactly humming yet. So maybe you can steal one from them. You catch them sleeping. They're a little off. They're not totally in sync. Ball bounces your way. You can win one against the Patriots early in the year. Not the late. The Jets getting them week three and week seven. Maybe that could help them out. Or the Browns, obviously, I think a team, so many new parts, so many new pieces, going to take them a little longer to gel. Obviously, that was the case, like you saw in week one, where the Titans put a whooping on them, and the Titans are, are in no way, shape, or form a talented team. So I thought maybe the Jets could steal one there Monday night, prime time, steal one against the Browns, take one from the Patriots, look at one win after these first couple stretch, and then start feasting on these bad teams like the Redskins and the Giants and the Jaguars and some of these other teams the Jets are going to play. But after week one, again, you don't want to overreact. It's only one game. The Jets last year 
put a whooping on the Lions to where it looked like that team and Jeremy Bates were just going to be completely rolling and looking ideal. And then obviously the Jets did, won three more games the rest of the season. So that's obviously a, a, a sign that you shouldn't read too much into week one. But looking at what you saw in that opener, I don't know, man. I mean, it's I, I don't. The Browns are going to be so motivated to come out like gangbusters against the Jets next week to remind people that they're still a good team. Then the Patriots look like they picked up right where they left off last year, and they're even better now with those offensive weapons, even minus Gronkowski. And then after that, the Cowboys look like world beaters, and the Eagles look like a team that might be one of the best in the NFL. So uh, it, it's going to be a brutal stretch here. And like I said, if they're 1-5, I mean, look, if they lose these next three, right? If they're 0-3, if they're if they look – I don't think they beat the Browns next week. I, 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 would, I would take the Browns. I don't think they beat the Patriots. I don't think they beat the Eagles. So that means you're going into week six, 0-4. Oh 0-4. And, oh and, and that I, that's when players start to look, point fingers. That's when this coaching staff could potentially start to combust with, with Gase, who's obviously an explosive personality, and Greg Williams, who's an explosive personality. It, 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 this was the game the Jets needed to have, and the Jets gave it away. Yeah, and it wasn't a, it wasn't an ideal way for those coaches either with the offense doing what it did and the defense and uh it's just not a, a good formula for sure. All right, but despite all of that, despite all the badness, the ugliness and and how badly this game ended, we're going to try to put a little silver lining on things here before we say goodbye. And one of those things is you mentioned Le'Veon Bell played the entire game, which is crazy that he yeah. played every play. Maybe there is some concern there long term, but he also showed what he can be, and he had 17 carries, 60 yards, uh, six catches, 32 yards, and a touchdown. He didn't light up the stat sheet, but he was the focal point of the offense. He showed flashes, and he played a good game for this team. So that's something at least. Yeah, it's it's something. And, and I think that what you saw was that the Jets' offense is going to run through Le'Veon Bell. That he is he's their best player and he's gonna run through it and 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 that's a good thing, especially because week one I look, Tim, I expected to see Rust. I expected this guy to uh make some plays. Maybe you saw a little flash of who Le'Veon Bell was, but then that would be it. Is that you would see it and it would take him until week three, week four really started rolling before he really started showing the type of player that he is, and before he really started showing the type of player that he will be for the Jets. But there really wasn't any rust against a very talented Bills defensive front running behind a very uh, a Jets offensive line that was struggling and, and a Jets offensive line that does not their their forte is not run blocking. It's actually pass protection. He looked good. The 60 yards on 70 carries was impressive. But how many times did he make the first guy miss every time he touched the ball? Because that's what it felt like. It was the first guy that yeah. got in there was not the guy that made the tackle. Bell made him miss, picked up a couple yards, and, and then moved forward. In fact, he converted, I think it was a third or fourth and one, where it was all him, where he was stuffed in the backfield, and his second effort got that first down. This guy is a dynamic playmaker. The Jets need to run their offense through him. He should never come off the field <laughs> as long as long as he as long as he is is feeling fine and good. Keep him on the field. But I would like to see moving forward the Jets use him a little more as a decoy. That get the defense focusing so much in on him that it then opens up Robbie Anderson. That it then opens up uh, Quincy Anoma. That it opens up Ty Montgomery, who who was who was such a difference maker in training camp in the preseason and, and kind of made the world think that he was going to be utilized. So much as a passer and as a as a pass catcher and also a runner as a compliment to Bell as not, or as not a compliment to Bell but another weapon on this scheme, the Jets didn't throw to him once and he had two total rushes. I mean they kind of just were so Bell heavy that they forgot some of these other players that they have and I think that was the one issue I had with Bell is that I agree, offense should run through him. He needs to be the focal point. They need to get him going. 
But at the same time, don't let your your infatuation with Bell distract you from the fact that the Bell a defense keying in on Bell can open up others. And I think that's the mistake the Jets made. But it was absolutely good to see Bell basically picked up right where he left off. Uh, that he looked explosive, that he looked powerful, that he looked like a game changer and a guy that can certainly uh, lead the Jets in 2019. That was certainly a positive. You mentioned that fourth and one play, and Connor, it, it's fascinating. You're watching a game on TV and you look away sometimes and stuff like that. I'm, I'm watching the game, and they hand the ball off to Bell, and he gets clearly stuffed, and I looked down at my laptop at that moment and kind of was moving on to, oh, a tough fourth and one. They can't even get that that gritty yard. And then I look back up and realize that he got the first down. That's how clear it was that I thought he had been stuffed in the backfield and somehow the second effort. So I will give him that. I mean, he's a guy that, that the, the effort is there, and he's a guy that you can put so much on. And that, that was certainly cool to see, but I agree with you. It, there needs to be so much more built around him, and he needs to, to lead to so many other things and not just be the focal point. But I thought it was funny that I had given up on that play completely, yeah. and he comes through and gets the first down. Yeah, look, I think, right. I think he's, you get foc- you're focusing on him, and, and the offense needs to run through him. But you would like to see the Jets build off of him. You know, play action, go deep. Use Bell to bring the defense in and then attack him behind. And, and I think that, honestly, a lot of the Jets' issues against the Bills, and the Bills are a talented defense. That, that's what shouldn't be lost in all of this. This is a good defense. Was that the offensive line's struggles, the offensive line's uh, – the, basically, the, the struggles of the – what I believe happened was that the struggles of the offensive line – made it so that the Jets had to have quick passes, get the ball out of Darnold's hands because Adam Gase did not trust the offensive line to hold up if he had if he ran plays that took three, three and a half seconds to develop, that he didn't think Darnold was going to have that time, so they had to just use Bell. They had to just go to Crowder. That's not sustainable, though. Obviously, you saw the offense scored eight total points on Sunday. That's not acceptable. That's not sustainable. They need to find a way to attack the second, th- second and third tier of the defense, the second and third level. They did that all throughout training camp. They did that in the preseason. They did not do that week one. They have to do it week two. Uh, this team wants a chance of, of upsetting the Browns. Yeah, they will try again. They'll get a little extra time to get ready with the Monday night game, obviously. Before we say goodbye for this podcast, you may remember back on the last episode, I was fired up about Syracuse and Maryland, Connor. You remember that? I do. I do. I remember it. It went, uh, I tell you one thing, at least they didn't keep me occupied all afternoon because <laughs> I was able to give up on that game early on. So before we say goodbye, I will let Marissa Morris, our producer, laugh at me here. So Marissa, congratulations, 63-20, to 20, Maryland just embarrassing my orange, and it may suddenly be a long season in central New York. Come on, Tim, you got to know the fear of the turtle. I mean, everybody knows that. (laughs) (laughs) And we took your spot in the AP poll at number 21. And I'm just going to say it. Honestly, you didn't even deserve to be there. (laughs) No, didn't. Definitely not. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. I've uh, I've turned on this team. Now, we'll see. Young quarterback, we'll see if they can get turned around. You're just lucky (laughs) neither of those two teams have to play Monmouth. That's when it would have been a bloodbath. Go Hawks. Indeed. All right. So uh, congratulations, Marissa. I'll pay up on the milkshake at some point uh, this can't, week. Can't and, wait. Uh, and we will move on. There you go. On. Nice plug. There you go. Nice plug. <laughs> it's my job, you know. <laughs> All right. So the next episode later in the week, we will uh, we'll break down the Cleveland team. We'll see what went wrong for them in week one and how the Jets can try to capitalize on that and, and try to get a win under their belt because it almost feels like Cleveland's a must win when you see what's coming up after that. It'll certainly oh, yeah. be interesting. Follow Connor on Twitter. Uh, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Uh, hey, 
Jets Nation, try to keep your chin up. Things can turn around. Uh, Week one isn't everything, we hope. We'll talk to you next time.